0: For your word to come alive in us and to follow your word and to follow you and to surrender control over our lives to you. And so, Lord, I thank you for each one who is here. You know exactly what everyone needs. I pray that you will minister your word to them in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. like to turn your attention to that passage in Romans, Romans chapter 8, one of the most beautiful passages, I think, in the entire Bible, as Apostle Paul um, comes to a grand conclusion of a, of a grand chapter, Romans chapter 8. You know, we all desire security. That's just a basic human drive. And so financial companies will often pitch their products and their services as a way to secure financial futures. Many people seek to secure their physical well-being, their physical health as, as long as they possibly can, and so they're motivated to This is a drive in their life to to eat right and to exercise and to get regular checkups. In America, we, we prize our national security, so we give a lot of our tax money, a great portion of our tax money to defense. We get anxious when our national security is threatened. Maybe you saw in the news a week or so ago that the Russians have developed some space weapon that can detonate, I guess, in space, a nuclear armed space weapon. I don't understand it all, but there was headlines about it and it said that this weapon could possibly destroy our space satellites. And so there was a lot of anxiety about that because it's a threat to our security, the security of our nation. And so we crave that. We crave security as human beings. And it's, it's wise to pursue security in these things. I want my kids and my grandkids to grow up in a secure nation. But we have to remember, friends, that our ultimate security cannot be found in the fleeting things of this world, in the temporary things of this world. Can't take our money with us after this life. No matter how strong we are now, our health will eventually break down. Leonard Cohen wrote, maybe some of you can relate to this, My friends are gone and my hair is gray, and I have aches where I used to play. (laughs) I thought about that yesterday, playing basketball with the kids. I have aches where I used to play, where it used to be easy. Nations rise and fall. History proves that. Even the mightiest of nations do not last forever. And so, where can supreme security be found? The Apostle Paul here reminds us of a basic truth as Christians. That our ultimate security is found in the love of God in Christ. We've sung about that. We'll sing about that again. We'll celebrate this truth today. Our ultimate security is is found in God's love for us. He tells us here why we can be assured that God loves us. He reminds us here of the the results of that love. And then he celebrates, as he comes to this, uh, again, grand conclusion, he celebrates the permanence of God's love. So the assurance of God's love. Why is it, how is it that we can be assured that God loves us? Maybe there's somebody here today asking that question. Does God love me? Does God? How can I know that God really does love and care for me and is for me? Well, Look at what the apostle says in verse 32. He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's sacrificial language. He gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son. The greatest proof of God's love for you and for me is the cross. He gave him up for us at the cross. The greatest proof... Of God's love is what God has done for us in the past at the cross. And then Paul goes on and says, now this is a guarantee that he will continue to love you. He will continue to be for you. He will continue to give you good things in the future. Because he's shown that great love to you in the past, how will he not also, with Christ, graciously give you all things? God did not spare his own Son." Sometimes we hear of a judge sparing a, a criminal of the worst penalty that the criminal could receive based on the crime. Sometimes you'll hear a judge saying that they did not, that, that, that this judge spared the accused and the condemned maybe the death penalty because the person who was accused and condemned of the crime was remorseful, was guilty. And so the judge spared the criminal. But here, Paul says, God did not do that with his own son, who was completely innocent. He did not spare his own son. He did not withhold punishment that he did not deserve. But instead, he gave us, gave Christ to us, up for us all. We read uh, today the mysterious and difficult story of Abraham and Isaac. God required great faith of Abraham. Abraham. But God did not require the blood of Abraham's son. He spared Isaac's life. He spared Abraham the death of his own son. But for us, for you, he did not spare his own son. Only the blood of Jesus, only the sacrifice of the sinless son of God could atone for our sin. And that is why God Did not spare his own son. Some people, maybe you've heard this, some people have criticized this teaching that we call the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Substitute, he was our substitute. Why? In order to make atonement, at one meant, so that we could be one with God. We're separated from God because of our sin, but but God provides His own Son as a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. And some people have criticized this teaching and, and said it's bad theology. It'll lead to bad consequences. And maybe you've heard some of this criticism. One person put it in a very crude and almost blasphemous way. It's almost hard to say this, but he said, just to give you a feel of the critique against this doctrine of the substitutionary atoning work of Christ, this person said that it makes God into a cosmic child abuser. And so we have to reject the idea that Paul is clearly teaching here. As if God could not control his anger. As if his anger against sin was not just. His his uh, reaction, his holy reaction against evil was not Just as if the cross was not God's plan through all of eternity to save his people from their sin. We have to remember, friends, that Jesus went freely to Calvary. He agonized in the garden. He knew what it was going to cost. He knew what he was going to face. He agonized about heading to the cross. But he finally submitted to the Father's will and he went willingly to the cross he said no one takes my life from me he freely laid it down god the father was not dragging his son kicking and screaming to the cross jesus willingly went in obedience to the father's will and out of love for you and me and while it was jesus who suffered on the cross of course The cross came at a great cost to the Father. That's what Paul is getting at here. He said he did not spare his own son. What more could he give to prove his love? What greater cost could he pay than his own son to demonstrate his love for us, to win us to himself, to purchase our pardon? And so how can you today be assured of God's love for you? Is it when you you get a clean bill of health at the doctor's office? You've been worried about your medical situation and, and you get a clean bill of health and you walk away saying, well, oh, God must love me because I got a clean bill of health. Well, what does that mean if you're not in good health? Does God still love you? Yes, He does. How can you be assured of God's love? Is it when you're applauded by your... Years, or when your bank account is full or when your relationships are going great and it just feels like the end of a Hallmark movie, everything is just wonderful. No, friends, the assurance of God's love does not come by looking at our circumstances, the changing circumstances of our life, but the cross of Christ. Look to the cross and there you see the love of God for you. That's how you know God is for you. That's how you know God will always be for you. That's how you know God loves you. He did not spare His own Son for you. And so what are the results of the love of God in Christ? This sacrificial love. Well, verses 33-34 through 34 takes us into a courtroom scene. Paul is using here legal terminology. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. Who's going to be the prosecuting attorney against God's people? Who is to condemn? Who's going to say this person deserves punishment and condemnation? So imagine if you were put on trial for your sins. Imagine going into a courtroom and all the evidence of your sin is going to be exposed before the judge and the jury. Just like we see... On TV, You know, the prosecutor is there and he says, we've got video of this criminal, the accused. Uh, I watched a lot of British uh, detective show and they're always talking about CCTV. You know, we've got the CCTV footage. Here he is going into the grocery store with the gun. And we've got the gun and we've got his fingerprints on it. And we have a video of the license plate and a picture of it. And we've got paperwork to show that he owns that car and this is his gun. And all the evidence is pointing to a guilty verdict. Now, imagine that you're in the divine courtroom. And the accuser is standing there and pointing to you. And he's saying, here's a video of all the times he's lied and cheated and misrepresented and and here is a recording of all the angry outburst and her slander and her gossip here is evidence of immorality in this person's life the prosecutor has technology that can capture and record your thoughts god forbid Wouldn't that be horrible? Captures all the thoughts that you've ever thought. Here's the lust. Here's the uncharitable thought. Here's the coveting. Here's the prideful thoughts. This person does not deserve to be in your presence, God, the prosecutor says. He's guilty. She's guilty. And God the Father says, we know all about that. We know all about that. You fool, this is the reason for the cross. This is the reason I sent my son. It's for their justification so that they will not be condemned, those who are in Christ Jesus. The shame that's been piling up is removed. The guilt is removed at the cross. God is the one who justifies, Paul says. He's the one who declares a person righteous. There's no greater power than God. If God's, there's no supreme court above God's courtroom. There's no court of appeal. If God says justified, you're justified. If God says not condemned, you're not condemned. Does anybody think that's good news? God justifies those who put their faith in His Son's work. Who is to condemn? Jesus died, Paul says. Jesus not only died, He rose, which proves that His death was God's sacrifice for the sins of the world. And not only that, Jesus is active now, loving His people. He says He's interceding for us. He's interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. His love continues for His people. His care continues for His people. What a wonderful thought. Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for you. Wonderful to hear a brother or sister say, I'm going to pray for you. But how much better to hear the Son of God saying, I'm going to pray for you. I am praying for you. I'm praying for your strength. I'm praying for your faith in this trial. I'm praying that you might make it to the very end. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And he's there interceding for his people. That's how much God loves. That's how much Christ loves. And the result of it is no condemnation. In Christ Jesus. What a word that we need to remind ourselves of today in our culture where people are looking and craving for acceptance, for justification. I read an article recently entitled, The Fabulous Desperation of Our Celebrities. And in this article, the author was talking about a very famous celebrity. She's in her mid-50s or so. And he said, you know, this, this this woman who is a worldwide known, uh, he said she doesn't really need to prove herself at this point, but lately she's been putting out these documentaries about her life, almost as if to say, remember me, I'm still relevant. And at the end of this article, the author said that our era's defining art form is the performance of the self that seeks approval that can never be total. The performance of the self. Do you see me? Do you see I'm significant? Seeking an approval that can never be final, never can be total. We can all fall prey to that. But total approval, total acceptance is found in Jesus Christ, in the love of God for us. Because he knows, friends, he knows He knows our sin. He knows our guilt better than we do. And yet, He loves us. And He paid for it all at the cross. This love, this knowledge of this love comes by grace, through faith. Have you put your faith in what God has done to prove His love for you? Have you put your faith in the cross? Are you continuing to put your faith in the cross? Are you resting in that today? When the accusation comes against you, when the guilt comes and the shame comes, do you look to the cross of Christ? Are you resting in that today? If you're in Christ, you're justified. There's no condemnation. Lastly, Paul celebrates the permanence of God's love in Christ. He reminds us that God's love for His people is everywhere. And always it is omnipresent It is eternal, the love of God for his people. For God, who is love, is omnipresent. And God, who is love, is eternal. And so, we can never be separated, friends, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul comes back to this. He he mentions it two times here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? What a list of suffering. What a list of trials. A list that Paul experienced. He experienced most of all these things in his life. But he discovered that even in the midst of trial, he's not separated from the love of God. He quotes from Psalm 44. We talked about this last week, how it is not a unique experience, but a normal experience for the people of God to suffer for God. And Paul here is quoting from the people of God in the Old Covenant, from Israel. They're giving voice to their suffering in Psalm 44. They're saying, Lord, we are like lambs that are being slaughtered. And they ask the question as the psalm unfolds, Where are you, God? Would you wake up? Would you arise? Would you have mercy on us? This is an appropriate thing to pray when we're going through suffering. Where are you, God? My hope is in you, but where are you? Would you arise? Would you intervene? Would you help? And the people of God say, We're like sheep being slaughtered. We're being killed all the day long. And Paul reminds his readers, that this is part of the experience of the people of God, suffering for God. But he says, that does not mean, that does not mean you're separated from the love of God. In fact, he goes on, actually he says previously, doesn't he, that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. All things, and he was talking about suffering too. That God can use our suffering for our good as we, we cling to Him and draw close to Him. Therefore, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I don't know if you've heard about the late Catholic cardinal named Nguyen Van then from Vietnam. He was a prisoner of communist Vietnam for 13 years. And for nine of those years, he was in solitary confinement. And he was able to write to his flock, to his people, on little scraps of paper. He was able to send out little scraps of paper. And he was also able to get communion wine because he said he needed wine for his stomach. And so while he was in prison, he consecrated this wine and was able to have communion with him and other prisoners when he wasn't in solitary confinement. But he was writing these little scraps of paper to his flock. And these thoughts became, uh, a book that he later wrote or was written called Prayers of Hope. Prayers of Hope. And he talks about how his faith, he struggled in the midst of this, obviously, and then he, he came to kind of a breakthrough that, that God was with him, even in this suffering, even in this hopeless situation. Uh, from a human point of view, he found hope. And he said this, he said, I learned that although I'm alone, I'm not alone. I can always speak to God. And I can always listen to God. And I can know that I have the love of Christ in my heart, even in solitary confinement. And so that gave him the strength to go through that awful time of trial. That's what Paul is writing about here. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that. Paul's bearing witness to that. Christians have known it through the ages. Is it something that you know? Is it something you know today? That nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Is it something you want to grow in? The knowledge of the love of God in Christ Jesus. No matter the circumstances, there can be a peace in the midst of it. I want to grow in this. Oh, to have that kind of faith that this cardinal had in prison. No matter where I am, never separated from the love of God in Christ. And so, as we get to the end of this passage, Paul's rhetoric, I mean, it just takes off, doesn't it? It just soars in these final verses. I mean, this is just beautiful, poetic. Language, he can hardly contain himself as he says, I am positive, I am sure, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation. What faith can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Death can't do it. Death cannot separate us if we're in Christ from the love of Christ because Jesus defeated death. Jesus is the risen one. Demonic powers, dark forces, evil cannot do it, cannot separate God's people from the love of Christ. Jesus was the one who exercised demons. He demonstrated his control over the powers of darkness and at the resurrection, the powers of evil that put him on the cross. The point is, very simply, friends, as one writer put it, and I love it, what he says, Christians cannot be cut loose from the love of Christ. You cannot be cut loose from the love of Christ. And this is what enables us, this truth enables us to hear and follow Jesus' radical call in the gospel. This is a call to surrender the control of. Of our lives to the one who loves us like this. Surrender control. To the one who loves us like this. Take up your cross. And follow me. I'm headed to the cross for you. Take up your cross. And follow me. Follow me. The one who gave his life. To prove God's love for you. Follow me, the one who justifies you in the eyes of a holy God. You could never do this. Jesus did it for you. Do not be ashamed to follow me in a wicked generation. The one who holds you fast in the love of God. Today and on your final day and into eternity, his love holds us fast. Amen. Let's pray. Help us, God, to trust in your word and these precious truths. Thank you, Lord, for inspiring these words from your servant, the Apostle Paul. And help us, each and every one, to put our faith and trust in these things. We need your spirit to do that. There's one here that has not done it, has not... Put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that your spirit will prompt them to surrender their life and cling to what you have done for them. And for all of us through all of our days, Lord, help us to grow in this faith, clinging to Christ, remembering his love, trusting in these promises. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.